0: The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today, I'm here with my guest, Dr. Chris Herman. Chris, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am
1: looking forward to it. Thanks, Jarvis. Are wonderful. Well,
0: Chris, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I'd love if you could share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, I think um, for us, and this is just for, just out of is running a, an early stage healthcare company, um, is always be innovating. And what, one of the ways that we, we model that organization is to have um, cl- clinician-centered innovation is part of everything that we do, and just always be have an open mind to try, experiment, um, even if it means that you fail at times. Um, always try to improve. Um, do that with the the clinician in mind is is one of our big uh, keys with our company.
0: All right. so I, I love that mindset, Chris, because obviously the target audience for you know the podcast here, um, healthcare leaders, but absolutely quality improvement professionals Um, and I'm sure I already know there are a number of infection prevention experts Mm -hmm. plug in with this podcast but that idea of just kind of testing fail fast and keep moving um, continuous improvement you're speaking to your people so Mm -hmm. um, I think that will resonate pretty well wonderful wonderful all right, so Chris, this is definitely where I'm, I'm you know, anxious to, to learn more about you, the work that mm-hmm. you're doing with your team over at Clean Hands, Safe Hands. Um, would love if you could share with our audience of quality people and healthcare leaders um, a quick overview of the work that you're doing, your professional background with this, which is honestly, um, you know, one of the most impressive probably that we've had on the show in some time. But then tell us absolutely what led you into this career path and even starting the business and the company that you're leading.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, great, great, great question um, and, and happy to, to do so. Um, and for me, the, the answer of how I ended up where I am, is it's kind of by accident. This was, this was not my career path. And so by any stretch of the imagination. And so our company, kind of as her name would imply, is we, we have a technology platform that we use to primarily improve hand hygiene and reduce infection. And um, my, my original career path was very, very different. I was, went through most of my formal uh, training and education, which spanned quite a bit of time um, with all my various detours along the way. Uh, but I was originally intending to go off and be an orthopedic surgeon throughout most of my, my training. And so um, I, started, I graduated um, with a biomedical engineering degree from Georgia Tech. Um, and wanted to apply that in the medical field, but then started medical school thinking I was just going to go off and be a normal uh, quote unquote physician. And then got bit by the research bug during my first year uh, in medical school and decided that I really wanted to have a more in-depth and advanced engineering background because my my personal passion has always been kind of bridging that engineering and medicine disconnect and and there's there are many things that you can do in healthcare with some relatively simple engineering technologies or approaches that can have a really big impact. And it was in, I think it was towards the, probably about halfway through graduate school, I got connected with um, a a group of clinicians, um, and they, we we were sitting around the conference table talking about something completely unrelated, and the the topic of hand hygiene came up, and we got the request of um, something along the lines of, do you guys, and that in their mind, represented the collective engineering world, um, can you guys help us solve our problem around hand hygiene? We've done everything we could think of, but um, people still aren't washing their hands. And I think my, my, my response, which I still get made fun of for today, was, sure, that seems simple enough. Let's give it a shot. And so um, that opened up a, at that point in time, I had no idea what I was getting myself. Um, but for the next seven or eight years, we led a and grew a research consortium that it actually still is running in parts today, uh, even through today. But it and we brought invest and in engineers primarily from Georgia Tech and the Georgia Tech Research Institute, and partnered with some of the Atlanta-based academic hospitals and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and Emory. And um, depending on what we were doing or which grant we were, we bounced back and forth between the various organizations. And we we didn't really have a good place to start but we worked hand in hand with those clinicians and 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 this is why we were as successful as we were early is that we really started with that clinician in mind and that's I, I wish I could say that oh yes that was part of some grand design but the reality was that we just had the right group of nurses who would give us feedback and it was early on it was almost always negative feedback and we'd come back and try something else and try something else and try something else and try something else and then finally things started to work and Um, about six years ago now, we got about as far as we could in the academic environment. Um, Our clinical trials were growing in size and the Affordable Care Act had just been passed. And so all the the reimbursements around healthcare associated infections. And so that was at the point where we licensed the technology both from the the various academic institutions um, and and started what has has grown into our company um, today and so that's the the long kind of circuitous route and so I've um I finally did go back and finish medical school after all the years it took me um 14 years to finally graduate um, which should have been a four year degree but but had a great great journey along the way and absolutely love what I'm doing now
0: well and but on top of that I mean there was a PhD in biomedical Correct. engineering earned so you know when I when I you know Got your bio. Of course, I think from our connection just on LinkedIn, I, I knew you were, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Herman. But then when I read your bio, I was like, oh, he's Dr. Dr. Herman. So yes. <laughs> uh, so no, I, I just want to commend you. I mean, I am an industrial engineer. I'm only going through my bachelor's, I have two master's degree. Uh, my wife, she has her PhD in statistics. So I've seen the plight of a person pursuing, you know, that next level of education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, again, read your bio, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, the the MD background, the PhD, just, it it blew my mind personally, so commend you on that. Well, thank you Um, very much. I had the opportunity, Chris, to actually come across your product um, while I was working at Emory. Yes, and it was being tested at one of the sites there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, my my first impression when I saw it, and the teams that I was working with, seeing them kind of use it real time. The CNO, who you guys were partnered with, mm-hmm. she broke it all down to me, and you know, explained to me what the product does and the technology does and how it helps and so forth. Um, could you give us kind of an overview of your product and really what it does? how it impacts folks and just, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of give us the, the, you know, this is audio, but, you know, help paint the picture a little bit. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So the, so we have a, a sensor platform network um, that are, that are comprised of battery powered sensors that we put in the the patient care areas or the patient rooms. And we typically will put these on all the, 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 hand sanitizers, the alcohol-based hand rubs, as well as the soap dispensers. And those sensors detect what's going on with the dispensers as well as people interacting with the patients. And so fundamentally, what these sensors will do is can detect, did somebody walk by? We then communicate with a little badge reel, if you remember. Uh, So we put an electronic chip into the employee badge reels that almost all healthcare providers wear to allow us to see who that person is. So I can tell if it's Chris or Jarvis going in or out of the room. Um, They also then can tell, did you clean your hands or did you use that dispenser? Um, But then the magic of of our our technology comes in is that all of those sensors can then talk to me and they can talk to each other in real time. And so the the hallway dispenser can say, hey, I just saw Chris clean his hands. He walks into the room. He's good to go. I I performed hand hygiene away and and no big deal. But the, the unfortunate reality is that that only happens a very minor or a very fairly rarely. The majority of the time is healthcare providers um, are busy, they're hardworking, and they just forget to perform heat hygiene. And so we, we have our, our real-time feedback mechanism. And this is the thing that we, early on, we, we stumbled into this based on some really fortuitous advice and perspective from a, a critical care physician back in the the real early days, and it turns out that this is the, the single biggest driver of performance improvement and as it relates to hand hygiene. So, if I were to walk into a patient's room and pre- forget to perform hand hygiene, um, the voice reminder will, will say, Please sanitize, please clean your hands, or whatever the hospital wants it to say. Uh, and so, it's a very quiet, very gentle reminder, but having that real time feedback is absolutely critical to help uh, change people's behavior because. I mean, yes, our, our technology is in a space that's called hand hygiene compliance monitoring. And there's lots of work and effort being performed across healthcare about trying to monitor hand hygiene. But um, our own personal philosophy, and this 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 goes back to some of our early collaborators, is they took the mindset of, you know, we just don't want to measure hand hygiene for the sake of having a number. It only becomes valuable to us if we can change people's behavior. And that's really where the the intricacies of, and the complexity comes in, is how do you take um, an organization, um, let's, let's use your example of Emory Healthcare, they have, I think it's close to 20,000 healthcare providers across 12 different sites that are all using their technology. How can you take and change the behavior of an organization that's that big without being completely disruptive? And so the, what we found is the single biggest driver in doing that is that real-time feedback. But then over the years, we've developed and refined a, a, a systematic way to help efficiently change that behavior without it being disruptive to the staff, um, which is for something like hand hygiene, which in theory healthcare some healthcare providers should be doing this two or three hundred times a day, is is really critically important. Wonderful,
0: and that that is a great overview. And again, even at the time, I believe at the time I came across your product, um, you all were maybe still kind of testing it with my team, my past team at Emory. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Even at that time, there was a lot of excitement built up, a lot of positive feedback. Um, like mm-hmm. I said, the CNO that introduced me to it, I mean, she was giddy, <laughs> truly giddy, just, <laughs> you know, sharing um, sharing the technology and everything with me. Um, but let me move you to the next question because I, I yeah. think this just aligns perfectly with where we are in the conversation. And um, the question I have for you is really just based around that expertise for hand hygiene, for mm-hmm. uh, healthcare associated infections, um, and even kind of the, the medical technology point of view. What are three concepts that you would like healthcare leaders to know about these three areas? Um, and, the, and the work that you're leading, so they can start to drive better compliance.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, it's a it's a great great series of questions. So the the probably the biggest one, and this is um, you mentioned your background as an industrial engineer. And if I could kind of wave a magic wand and start this whole process over again, um, I would have started with industrial engineers and with psychologists, and not the engineers to go build the widgets. Um, is because at the end of the day, and there's there's certainly been a trend. In a very positive way to do systems-based engineering or systems-based approaches or interventions in healthcare, um, which is I think fantastic. And um, and I think the the one of the the big takeaways that we've um, heard from and we've learned, quite frankly, heard and both learned is that. Um, hand hygiene, everybody's initial reaction, and this is a very common, especially for senior executives, I don't mean this in a negative way, but their common perception is that, oh, hand hygiene, they just have to do it. It's just an education thing. People are making an intentional decision to not wash their hands, et cetera, et cetera. And the reality is, is, is that is, quite frankly, usually the furthest from the truth. It's just a byproduct of um, hardworking, highly motivated, and at times overworked into compassionate individuals in their environment, where they've got lots of things going on, there are lots of things they have to remember to do, and they're appropriately thinking about the patient, and not all of the steps that they need to do to do, in the case of hand hygiene, um, perform that, and so um, it's when we we step back, and we ended up learning these lessons the hard way, but we ended up in a system-based approach, where we address the systems and process around the people as a way to influence the people, it's not just a, a, a matter of telling the healthcare providers to um, to do something better, um, and, and I think this year, and we've we've all seen the kind of the, the super heroic efforts that healthcare providers have put into the, the COVID response in the last year. And so it's it's I think if anything, now more than ever, it's got me convinced that it's not a matter of just trying harder. It's it's a matter of really trying to address the the fundamental, and even if it's not the non obvious factors or barriers, um, is a way to influence the end goal. So I think that's. That's the probably the single the single biggest one, um, and then the the other approach that that we've seen, and this is something that we didn't do intentionally at the beginning, but was key to our success, is that the being able to do the rapid innovation iterations, et cetera, et cetera. And this is not a new concept, and and is an engineering background, and you, as an industrial engineer, probably knows better than everybody. Um, in the engineering world, these lean or um, uh, iterative-based learnings and improvement processes are pretty well established and they largely come from the manufacturing environment. And there's over the last, I don't know, I've probably seen it over the last three years, there's been a, um, a a big push into healthcare with the the lean systems and the the, the various belt systems that they have. Um, but really what, what those all boil down to is test and iterate because, um, and this is certainly true of what we've experienced over the years, is many times what we think the answer or solution or barrier is, is wrong. And if the, you can go further faster by learning that quickly, as opposed to um, putting a lot of effort or energy or money into an approach that's just not going to be viable. And so that's, it's been exciting to see healthcare finally embrace kind of that, those lean methodologies. Um, But I think there's still a lot of room for improvement, quite frankly, across the the overall, the overall spectrum. Um, And then the, the third piece that we have seen, and this is probably more relevant to our industry, um, is just the idea of solving problems with technology. Is It's, again, it, it's the idea of, well, we have an issue with um, documentation or hand hygiene or whatever it is, and we're gonna go buy an EMR system or a hand hygiene system or a new MRI or, or a fancier x-ray machine. Um, and the technology in itself can certainly supplement um, all of those things, and again, we our business is built around that, that data-driven technology, but um, that interface and how those, the technology, inter, inter, excuse me, interacts with people is super, super critical. And um, not to pick on my, my colleagues in the, the EMR industry, but there's been lots of focus and lots of frustrations with being disruptive to workflow, um, with again, it's, it's done with the right intentions, but that interface and how the technology interacts with the people is, um, both super important, and at least from our experience, is, is very, very difficult to do, just in the um, the complexities. It's one thing to have a PowerPoint slide or, in theory, how things are going to work. But then when you roll this out to tens of thousands of healthcare providers all over the place, um, it's very, very different out there in the wild. And just being very sensitive to how those that technology interfaces with the people is is critically important.
0: Very perfect. And I, I love each of those three takeaways. Um, I'm curious to ask, kind of go off script a little bit here from, you know, from your opening thought, even around the industrial engineering and the mm-hmm. the psychology piece of it, when you all are partnering with organizations and introducing, mm-hmm. you know, the technology, some of the process, um, you know, standards or any process mm-hmm. tweaks to ensure that extra compliance, mm-hmm. what, what kind of feedback are you guys getting and what yeah. are what are some of those, you know, kind of I, I guess I would imagine imagine them to be about the change management concepts or right. even that feeling of big brother watching me right. or something like that. But, yeah. Um, do you exactly. guys
1: hear any of that? And how do you how do you address uh, uh, yeah, it? So the, the answer to this question, yes, we certainly hear that all the time. <laughs> and just the way that our technology works is by design, the staff also hear it, too. And that's the way that that voice is that reminder where they um and and what we have found to be successful, whether it's change management or big brother or all of those things, is to just be very intentional about that dialogue and the communication. It's and especially when it comes to big brother, it's we we encourage, we actually will encourage the hospital leaders to, when our technology is installed, say the word big brother and explain to them, look. This is not about being able to spy on you and see where you go and if you're taking too long in to the break room, like our technology, it'd be cool if we could do that, but it's just not the way it works. It's this is about trying to deliver better care and helping you deliver better care to keep your patients safe. And so if you can frame it, it's a lot of that is kind of setting that appropriate foundation. But the one, the one piece that is when it when we talk about change management, this was the the really counterintuitive piece that we learned with hand hygiene is um is everybody's perceptions. And what we, what we do for all of our hospitals when we install the technology is we install the technology with the voice reminder being turned off. And so for the first six weeks, we're capturing baseline hand hygiene data. We also capture data to do workflow analysis that we then use later on to help adapt the system. There are all of the, the crazy things that can happen in hospitals. But importantly, what we, what we have done is we will ask the staff, hey, what do you think your hand hygiene, personally? is like, what do you think your numbers are? Um and it's fascinating to see and and is the 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 on average again, and this is probably almost a hundred thousand different data points that we have around this now is almost everybody thinks they do hand hygiene eighty percent or higher. The reality though, is almost everybody is below fifty, and there's almost nobody who's up in the seventy year. Um uh, the other piece to this that really was the unlock is we we asked the staff um for a while is do you think you're above average and uh, we were shocked at how many people answered that question yes. So we at that point had um, 10,000 people answer that question yes, and only one out of 10,000 said no. Um, and so the, the the takeaway from that in the aha moment for us is the staff or the healthcare providers think they perform hand hygiene the majority of the time. They think they're above average, which the inverse of that means that anytime the reason why a hospital is struggling in hand hygiene it's not me. It's always somebody else. And, and and the the what we the counterintuitive piece that we eventually learned to do is just allow that period of time to sink in. And so when we turn the voice reminders off on um, and we actually just turned voice reminders on this week for another big hospital, it's we, we go around, we work with the staff and just have conversations about the voice. Don't talk about data. Don't talk about, hey, you're the lowest, you're the highest, et cetera, et cetera just engage in a conversation about what's appropriate for him. Talk about the voice. Tell me when you hear the voice, when you think you're not supposed to. And by kind of pausing and just everybody recognizing is that there is that, that disconnect between their, what the staff perceives in the reality and letting that kind of work um, and not going too far too fast with the data. We found that um, the staff A and perhaps most importantly have better buy in into the overall change management approach. And then B, it's, it's more efficient and more fun for everybody um, because we found that, at least with hand hygiene, if you do, if you kind of go guns blazing with data, data, data at the beginning, it's just there's pushback and there's resistance and there's frustration. But if you can really lean in to those, especially to the frontline staff and um, understand what's going on, give them a chance to ask questions of, hey, so do I really have to clean my hands when I take my gloves off? Do I really have to clean my hands when I leave the patient room? Those kinds of things. Um, and you get their buy on the front end. It's it's much easier, efficient, and more fun for for everybody involved.
0: When I remember again, you know, from my experience firsthand, watching everything in motion, um, the team that I was working with, I think they had just gotten to the point of turning on the voice reminders, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about it. You know, again, myself, some of the nursing leaders, right? And at that time, they were like, we actually appreciate it because I right. think they were probably in that perception that they always do right. it. And then to get the voice reminders, and I, th- I think it was the voice of the CNO kind of reminding. Yes, them. I
1: think you're right. Yeah, we did we did use the CNO's voice in that yeah, particular hospital.
0: It, yeah, yeah, and no. the, yeah, they
1: know they were actually really appreciative. You know, right.
0: it wasn't yeah. it wasn't that paranoia or that annoyance. It was like exactly.
1: oh I forgot. So yeah, yeah, and that's and that again speaks to I think part of the reason why the voice works. It's not because of any brilliance on our part, unfortunately. Um, it's that healthcare providers overwhelmingly are very compassionate, very self-motivated. And so, and and that's the reason why we can have a reminder and we do call it a reminder. And it really and truly is. It's just that, that feedback that works is, and eventually um, they, they kind of will understand and connect the dots. And this is how we can do this efficiently at large scale is that, you know, overall there is some feedback that's not always positive and we want to understand and explore that. And, and many times it's a, an education disconnect of yeah what do you mean I've got to clean my hands when I take my gloves off for example that's probably the most common one we get but overall it's that it's, it raises the awareness and if you just kind of we encourage people to um, just pat everybody on the back when you first start the change man up the process be very encouraging be very open be very engaging to because you will get things that are overwhelmingly pretty positive positive. Um, and I personally have been been those are always fun stories, to, and the feedback that we get is that people really do appreciate it overall. Um, and there are people that where it's they we need to have some education or workflow discussions to help them better fit with everything. Um, but it's it's overall very positive. We overall, and I mean, even with this kind of fear of or cloud of Big Brother, uh, we can still have big improvements. And most people are really supportive of it. It's it's really fun to see um when and are my favorite interactions with this is when not when they first start but when you have the system installed for three four six months and infections start to, to come down and i mean i've had i mean been in meetings where there's there's one icu manager that i remember who's been trying and trying and trying for years and years and years their infections are high and they finally tackle the hand hygiene piece with our technology and their infections fall i think in this case probably Ninety percent, and she was literally in tears. She was so excited that we finally did it. We're finally keeping our patients safe, and that's that's really what what motivates a lot of people to work as hard as they do within healthcare. And so that's the the fun the aspects of, of what we get to do.
0: Well, I, I love hearing that, and that that's the perfect setup for maybe even this next question I have for you, Chris. But um, I'll say also, I remember, and again, I'm going from a very fuzzy memory on this one, but mm-hmm. at the time with my previous team. I want to say their normal process for monitoring hand hygiene at that time had them over 90 percent compliant more or less. It was a secret shopper type of a process. And the data that was being produced, you know, from from you all had them below 40 percent to your, you know, to one of your points earlier. Also, that most people think they're above 80, 90 Um, percent. That was the situation here. And uh, what I also loved about it being the data geek that I am. Mm-hmm. Was the ability to get more accurate data by the people by the roles, um, but again that that was such um, a point of clarity for them. So right, just calling no. that out. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The yeah, so I think the what what you're speaking to is is very very common um, with and you're right. Most it's it was unique to Emory, not unique to Emory. Most. I'd say the vast majority, probably the tune of ninety-five percent of most hospitals these days, use the, the the direct observer or secret shopper type program. But the the challenge is is there there are other things, but the big reason why there is that gap between what the pen and paper says and what reality says is is due to something called the Hawthorne effect. Um, and this 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 actually came out of the industrial in, industrial engineering and psychology background. But the the fundamental principle as it relates to hand hygiene is when people know they're being watched they perform hand hygiene more frequently is, is they in theory know it but that but the observer actually in many ways similar to the way our voice works is it it's that subconscious or or, or sometimes even conscious reminder to oh yeah i need to perform hand hygiene because the, the hand hygiene observer is sitting there and and the data is pretty drastically i mean and it's it's the tune of um in many cases it will more than double between the observers. And so um, it's, that's a big, another part of that perception versus reality is with, again, and this is done with everybody's good intentions and with the, the best of their abilities is they're, they're saying set, I mean, it's typically 90, 95, 99. And our average is typically in the 30s, sometimes 40s. 40s is a pretty good starting point for us when we come into a, a new hospital. And it's that being able to, to base decisions based, um, improvement initiatives on data is kind of the foundation, and and that's been one of the big um, uh, lessons that I've learned over the years. And this is, I mean, I am absolutely preaching to the choir in this one with a quality improvement background, but it really is: is if you can't improve what you can't measure, and if you can't improve measure things, whether it's hand hygiene or the whole slew of other things, you're not going to be able to improve. And and that's really just as as kind of I think as fundamental as it it can be. Um, But yeah, it's certainly something that we see all over the
0: world. Wonderful. Well, that's the setup. You know, the next question I have for you then, um, would love to highlight, uh, and you share so much, but if you have any other quick examples of any of the biggest struggles or just breakthroughs that any of, um, you know, any healthcare teams have had with improving their overall hand hygiene compliance, and hopefully, Mm -hmm. ultimately, that leads to that reduction in hospital-acquired infections. Uh, would love for you to share any additional takeaways.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the really exciting piece for us, and this this is this is something that's probably been developed probably since you left Emory, so you m- you may not have been exposed to it. Is we um, took all of our early years of quite frankly some very painful lessons and learned, and we and we developed a systematic process with a series of um, targeted interventions that we, we we structure and we call it our hand hygiene acceleration pathway. And over the last it's really been two and a half years now since we started to do this. Um, the results that we've had have been been phenomenal. And so we're very proud of the fact now that um, over, since we, for any hospital or health system that has followed this pathway for at least six months, individually, they've all seen a, not only the improvement in hand hygiene, which is good, right? We all like to improve. Um, and in many cases, kind of the the numbers that you referenced with, with Emory, where we can and we can typically more than double a hospitals' hand hygiene rates over that period of time. But really, the reason we all do this is reduce the infection. Um, that's that's why anybody talks about hand hygiene is it's to drive those infections. is. And what really gets our team excited is every individual hospital, we've been able to show a statistical decrease in infections. And when you look across those hospitals together, that average infection reduction is now over 65%. Um, and then, um, while we may not have the, the sample size big enough in each individual organization to show this. When we look across all of the hospitals, um, not only can we reduce the average number of infections by over sixty-five percent, um, we can reduce every type of HAI um, as well. And so, it's that—that's really the exciting piece. And when we can come in um, and and very consistently and repeatedly do that, um, it's it's really—I mean—that's that, why we all work as hard as we and and get both our team and the healthcare providers—that's that, really what this is about—is being able to come in and show those infection reductions. And really, what's been uh, really accelerated our growth and our success is we've we've figured out a very systematic and efficient way to do that for. And it really becomes valuable for large organizations such as such as Emory or those big multi-site health systems. Um, that it it really becomes a lot of fun to do.
0: Now that that's phenomenal um, in terms of the breakthroughs. I'm just curious to ask, and I, I imagine this probably still kind of plays into that change management mindset, right. um, you know, accepting the technology or any of the process changes or compliance mm-hmm. expectations, but um, what, what's a general timeline before they start seeing any of those improvements um, across, you know, very high-level thinking, but... right.
1: Was that within the first month, first year, or any any gut feels for how long? Yeah, it's a great question. So we, um, so from a a timeline perspective, um, when you see improvement, when we we can look at hand hygiene, for is probably the biggest. It's the most easy to measure improvement. So um, we can, from a from a hand hygiene perspective, it. I mean, it, it is down to within the hour that we turn voices on, the improvement happens. So that improvement in hand hygiene and, and this is going back to um some of the big studies we did with um emory and the cdc that i think were just about going at the time you were there jarvis um the single biggest imp- driver of that improvement and the enabler for all the the subsequent interventions interventions is the voice and so that happens almost instantaneously so with literally to within the hour we can go back and look at the data and see oh this is when they turn the voice on within an organization but then the, the subsequent interventions that we, we do is, is they take time to work. Um, and so we will have a series of, um, we call them phases, but they're really just a series of target interventions. And some of them will take six to 12 weeks to kind of maximize the, the impact. And the way that our process works is we start very broad, very high level um, interventions that apply to most people. And then we get an improvement and then we focus on kind of the remainder that hasn't improved and then apply some interventions to work on those people that they improve and then you kind of keep whittling it down and the reason for hand hygiene the reason why that's so important is there are just so many people it is it big health systems that have 10 20 30 40,000 people there's no way they can run around and have one-on-one conversations with all of those people so the way our interventions work is right we turn the voice on initially that applies to everybody then we do we want to make it fun engaging um, a little competitive where we do competitions where we talk about the top performing units or teams um, as a way to get people talking about data, but in a non-threatening fun way. Then we talk about top performers and then we we look at workflow patterns to so identify people who just need a little bit more intervention. And then finally, we get to things where it's we're really targeting high risk interventions as they occur. And so that journey will, will take most organizations, uh, really nine to 12 months to go through. COVID has been interesting this last year where it's kind of stretched that out. But for most hospitals, uh, we can get through all those interventions and you'll see your hand hygiene rates usually more than double, sometimes triple. Um, and then, but the biggest benefit that we get is for those those initial interventions. And so um, on average, we will take hospitals from say 30, 30-ish 30 percent to 60-ish percent. And that that initial doubling and and getting people out of those really low ranges, that's where we see the biggest clinical benefits. And so um, while it may take 12 months for a organization to walk across kind of through the entire journey, we can typically show a very, very significant clinical benefit within six months or so. All
0: right, phenomenal, I love it. Um, Let me move you to the next question, just again for a lot of our listeners, I'm hoping everything you've shared so far has their brains kind of going in overdrive. Um, Would love to ask if you have any um, good online or offline resources that are still connected to improving con- um, infection rates or just overall healthcare quality as it relates to everything yeah. you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, it's, I, I think it's a great question, um, and the the honest answer is there's there's probably not um, unfortunately there's not great resources, especially when you get into the infection control space and data as it relates to quality improvement. I mean, there are certainly organizations in the US, the CDC is probably the premier one, where they have lots of guidance, documents, resources, policies, um, uh, standards is another big one. Um, and then the World Health Organization has actually a very similar set, but they don't necessarily aren't used quite as heavily as in the US. Um, and that's probably the, the, the best resource. And then for the infection control community in particular, the probably the premier organization is, is APIC. Um, and and so they have again another series of of resources, but um, the there's there's not a great source at least for I'm like hand hygiene because that's something that we are very intimately involved with. But it's it's one thing to have a standard or a policy, um, but it's another thing to let's say take that 40 page standard as it relates to hand hygiene and then implement that in a practical clinical way and. Um, I wish there was more of a collaborative community that was out there to talk about whether it's hand hygiene, infection control, quality improvement. Um, but there's not a really great place that we've been able to find, um, where people can share and, um, publish and, and collaborate in, in, in some of the, the quality improvement. And so it's, it's, it's an, I think there's an area for opportunity there for sure. But, um, those are the, from a, from a, a document guidance data perspective, the CDC does a great job, um, but it's, there's, there's, it's, there's not much else that's out there, at least from what we've seen.
0: And I've been fortunate in my career to have gotten pulled in on a number of um, projects connected with um, infection rates. Mm -hmm. I I mean, literally started hand hygiene collaboratives, you know, within Mm -hmm. the the systems that I've worked on. Right. Um, So to your point, you know, that's, always been my finding as well. When you start looking Mm -hmm. online, I mean, everything has always drawn me back to the CDC, but in terms of finding other groups um, that you can learn from, there's been very few. So Mm -hmm. um, I just want to highlight that, you know, for our audience to to your point, Chris, and to my experiences going through this, um, you know, if anybody's listening, that's an opportunity for future quality Mm -hmm. improvement work. Um, supporting your infection control leaders or getting on board behind hand hygiene or anything else with HAIs. Mm-hmm. Um, great opportunity, but Chris, I hope the work you guys are doing is going to start to change the the dynamics and that, that research and that marketplace as well. So good stuff there. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, next question I have for you, Chris, um, is there an industry relevant leader that has had a huge influence on your career? And if so, uh, what was that impact?
1: Um, yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think there have been um, there have been two, and I'll, I'll share two very short anecdotes um, that that have helped shaped us is the first one um, is from the she was the chief of critical care at, it, with our earliest clinical partner um, in Atlanta, and um, our very first iteration of our technology had a beeper and a buzzer and a flashing red light and she said, all right, I like where you're going with this, but no beeps. And I looked at her like, what do you mean? It's cheap. It's elegant engineering solution, super powerful. efficient. So this it's great. She said, no beeps because I ignore all the beeps in my ICU except the third. I looked at her like, at that point in time, I was, had had barely could walk into a hospital, let alone had any idea how it would actually operate. And and her point was um, incredibly insightful. And, and the follow-up was, and this is the big takeaway for us, is that you know, no more beeps because everything in my ICU beeps and gongs and buzzes, and I ignore everything except the ventilator. And because I've learned over time that if I ignore the ventilator, something really bad is going to happen to a patient in this case, a child. Um, but everything else I just ignore. And and that was before the alarm fatigue was a coin thing. Um, and it turned out that the voice for whatever reason is not another alarm or a beep. And that's been the single biggest thing that we've uncovered over the years is improve of, of, of driving that management. And so um, for us, the takeaway is that having whatever feedback or intervention that you're going to do, have it stand out in a way to um, improve um, whatever change management or process you're trying to do. It just can't kind of fall into the very noisy background is in healthcare. And then the the second one, the other piece of advice uh, came from, you'll you'll recall Dr. Bill Bornstein, who is the, the chief quality officer of Emory Healthcare. And he was one of the very first quality, I think he was probably even the very first quality executive that I ever sat down. Um, and we were talking about data and talking about um, some of the applications of our data. And he shared with me his, his data-isms, as he called them. It's the first one that we alerted to earlier. And this is one that everybody accepts is you can't improve what you can't measure. So everybody gets that. But he said the second piece um, is, and, and we're both from the South, so it's probably a more of a Southern analogy, is, is that just because you weigh a chicken, it doesn't make it fatter. And, and that's been the, as we've, we've gone through this hand hygiene evolution, that's, that's been one of the things that's really stuck in my mind is yes, we do want to measure hand hygiene, but we don't want to do it just for the sake of getting better and better measure. Um, and we want to use, what we want to do is build and drive improvement where it, it ha- actually helps lead to the, the correct clinical outcome. And so, in um, internal our company, people get tired of this analogy is I will constantly ask them are you making a chicken scale or are you making a chicken feeder and in the case for hand hygiene yes we do want to be able to measure hand hygiene but really it's only be valuable to the organizations that we work with if we can take that in our case technology and lead to better clinical outcomes and lead to that clinical behavior change and and that's a trap that um is very very common with with hand hygiene is everybody wants to measure 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 be perfect be perfect be perfect it's and a lot of times it's all right well that's good enough but really, what the value is, is we want to change people's behavior and and change things in a good way to let be the cl- better clinical outcomes. And so that's, that's probably the piece that is driving most of what we're doing now is, is really trying to, using that chicken analogy, focus on a way to help make chickens fatter and feed them the food that they need to, to lead to the outcomes, as opposed to just focusing too much on the, the measurement side of things.
0: So I love it. And just bringing up the name Dr. Bornstein, so I, I'll share, you know, with with you and obviously the the audience that plugs in with this. My encounters with Dr. Bornstein were so, you know, he he is probably one of the most uh, impressive quality leaders that I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And my gut feel for for all of my background with quality improvement, Chris, I've looked at him plenty of times and had the thought that he's probably forgotten more about quality than I've ever learned. <laughs>
1: So yeah. that, yeah. So no, that right.
0: saying that you just said, I was like, yep, that's
1: not the bar <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You've probably heard that before, too. Yeah, no, I I, I certainly have, have cherished the interactions we've had um, yeah. because he was, and quite frankly, he was going back to our, our our earliest days where it was just a back of the napkin idea. Um, if it hadn't been for his and some of the other senior Emory healthcare care leaders that he connected us with at the time, we wouldn't have been here today. It just would not have happened. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been, uh, I've really enjoyed those interactions over the years. Um, it's been almost what, 15 years or so since, um, we've, I've had the, the opportunity and, and fortune to work with them. So it's, it's been fantastic.
0: Wonderful. Uh, I'm officially adding him to the list. I can't believe he wasn't already on my list of folks to try to find for the podcast here, but, um, yeah, I, can, I appreciate you bringing that, you know, bring him to mind. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next question I have for you, and then I promise I will pick up the pace, Chris. I, I'm hoping I'm not going to keep you up from anything um, in our, our closing session here. But um, would love to ask, uh, what do you see as the number one challenge and opportunity for healthcare teams working to improve outcomes and infection rate?
1: Yeah, I think I think the these days is the the challenge and the opportunity are are, are very interrelated. And and that's just the 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 bandwidth and, and specifically the burnout of healthcare providers and we see that um all over the place um both in the infection prevention and the quality industry we've 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 unfortunately had more senior leaders retire in the last year than I would say and by an order of like 10 times what we have seen historically. And so these days it's a it's a tough time to be in healthcare and it's even tougher to be in an infection control space with all that's going on with COVID. And um, I think we we all hope and are cautiously optimistic that those days are hopefully behind us. But just that that recognition of that you know what it's still really hard, and not only are the leaders um, fatigued and worn out, so are the and, and even perhaps even more so some of the so are the frontline staff. And so one of the things that um, we we learned, and honestly we learned this lesson the hard way over this last year, is that just be realistic with with what you want to accomplish and Go at the pace that the organization is ready for and can sustain, um, and and specifically this goes back to, it was a little over a year ago, almost a year ago now. It was back May May timeframe, really when all the COVID stuff was was getting ramped up, and we everybody got excited collectively, our team, our hospital partners, about what we could do with the data and the impact we could have with COVID. Um, but it was just, it was just too much. And there was just too much craziness going on. And and that's still happening. And so we've just learned that you, it's better to be patient and go at the speed that people are ready to do as opposed to kind of force data or force process changes when it's just not ready. And so that's been our big takeaway over the last.
0: No, and that's a good takeaway. I have ran into very similar with the work that I do trying to get folks to focus on quality or process improvement projects in the midst of a national pandemic. Um, That fatigue, that burnout, very, very real. So um, appreciate that call out. Um, Chris, you know, we're right there kind of at the halfway point of the show. I call what we're going to do next, the two minute drill, kind of my take on a rapid fire uh, Mm Q&A and uh, just check in really quick to see if you're ready to rock and roll before we jump into it. Let's do it. All right, perfect. Well, uh, Chris, this next question is something of a two-parter. But I'd love for you to tell our quality people first something about your current work that inspires you to do your best, then share with us how do you inspire others on your team.
1: Yep. So um, for us, it's, it's that we get to save people's lives. And that answer is it's the same for both pieces. So what we do at this point is directly, we can directly, directly attribute what our, our hard work and effort goes into. And we're, we're very proud of the fact that every day we all come to work, we save it's about two people's lives. So that's the, the short answer there perfect. And I love it. I love that. I love that you all have it literally quantified. So it's awesome. Um,
0: Next question is, what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received?
1: Um, Is, is to just explore, I mean, to, um, uh, so it was actually from a, an individual, he's, he's actually an orthopedic surgeon, physician scientist up at the Mayo Clinic. His name's uh, Mike Yazimski, who's another PhD and physician engineer. Uh, and his advice, and this was something he gave to me as I was trying to go through and figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, is he, 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 his decision to go back and do a PhD was driven Primarily because it's just something he wanted to do because he was interested and wanted to go do it, and it was not because of the right career move. Um, and is and to be willing to be okay with a career move because it's just something you want to do and be interested in. Perfect, and
0: I really have to step my game up. All of these, all these doctor doctors now. It's very <laughs> impressive. <laughs> um, next question I have for you, Chris. Uh, what do you consider are three key attributes
1: for being an effective healthcare leader? Uh, the first one is is compassionate. And a second one, I, I mean, just in the nature of what we do, I've got to say something about data or being data driven. And the third one is to be willing to ruffle a few feathers. Healthcare in particular is very resistant to change and being willing to go in and, and uh, to use the, the term from one of our uh, directors of quality. Go and stir the pot a little bit to, to get some movement is, is certainly a necessity these days. All right, perfect. And please share
0: with our quality people a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add.
1: The, the one that comes to mind is, it's called HITS. It's the Healthcare Infection Transmission Symposium, which is an, an interdisciplinary conference of, of various people looking at the spread of infections in, in a lot of unique and different ways. Perfect. Um,
0: if you could recommend one book to our quality people, what would it be and why?
1: I would say the it's the, the Checklist Manifesto, which is written by Atul Gawande. It's, it's probably on, honestly, most of your readers' bookshelves or in their Kindles. Um, but it's, it, it's taking the look at some of the healthcare problems from another industry. And while many there are many certainly many unique things to healthcare, there's certainly a lot of other industries that work. That have developed highly reliable systems in highly complex environments, and I think there's 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 a lot, still a lot of opportunity for healthcare to improve going down that those roads. Wonderful.
0: And this next question, I call it the silver bullet question. But Chris, what is one piece of advice that you would give to a healthcare organization to eliminate
1: HAI? It's it's to um, I think a, a bit selfishly, right? And this is the the obvious answer that I'm going to do is improve and hygiene. But that's that's probably not necessarily um, the most obvious, or or it's probably a little too obvious from from my background. Is I think um, for me, it's it's just being being very intentional about looking at the data and letting the late the data lead you down the the road to success, and and kind of looking beyond kind of your own intuition or preferences or biases. Wonderful. And now
0: for our closer. Um, Chris, let's say that we're sitting here a year from now, celebrating what a great year has been for you and your mm-hmm. team over at Clean Hands, Safe Hands. Take a second and think about it. But what exactly did we achieve this year, and how are we celebrating?
1: Mm-hmm. So for 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 us, it's um, being able to continue to grow and save p- patients' lives um, uh, af- in, in kind of this post-COVID world. Um, I mean, this COVID has is, is, is really um, disrupted and, and, and turn healthcare up on its heels at times. Um, and being able to, to adapt and evolve through that period of time is something that we've, I think we've got figured out. We're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel, very fortunately. Um, but um, for us, it's about supporting those hospitals through this, this crazy time and um, leading to some better outcomes from some of the things that we've learned over the, the last years. Wonderful. And uh, how are we celebrating? Um, you know, um, so one of the things that... Um, is a little bit unique to our organization's culture is um is that we we, we actually celebrate with literally champagne there's a wall in a bookcase in my office um if i have a chance to get get back in there that we have all the champagne courts from big company milestones the years. so we we that's a, a big piece of just kind of our our team's culture is we've got um, champagne corks with key milestones written on them that we all come in and look at and, and reminisce. over. So your own version of a uh, trophy case, huh? Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Chris, let's end today with you sharing the best way that folks can connect or follow you on social media, then we'll officially
1: sign off. Perfect. Um, so probably with, with social media, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn. So you can just look me up under my name. So it's Chris Herman, it's H-E-R-M-A-N-N. And there aren't too many of us with the PhD. so you can figure out who it's me. Um, or if you want to follow us on Twitter, our, um, our handle is at C-H-S-H system. Perfect. Well, Chris, man, I, I
0: really just want to thank you again. Um, first, really for the, the vision that you have and that your team has for improving healthcare, um, all the great work that you're doing, but really appreciate you giving me some of your time today for the podcast, um, you know, for our quality people everywhere, I thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis
1: and Chris, and we are signing off. All right. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Jarvis.
0: Quality people. Thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.